Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, May 9th of 2023, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. And today we gather at 6.30 a.m. For our friend, who's usually with us, Charles Willer in Minnesota. He's not with us today, but we hope to have him back very soon. This Sunday is May 14th, and we're working to be faithful to Lectionary Year A. Here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader, and then in this podcast, we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. <clears throat> and I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'll be reading the scripture today. And we're going to be going to John 14, 15 through 21. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be with you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. And that's the word of the Lord. Well, as usual, we have three questions to work with today, and we always offer those up to folks that are moderating classes, facilitating discussions, coming up with catalyst questions to encourage conversation. And so these are test drives and questions to see what works and what doesn't. And so here are the questions for today. We'll start with number one. The passage that I just read finishes with, I will reveal myself to them. How do you describe or elaborate on this? this concept of revealing based on the literature or in your own life's journey. Bill Hall, let's start with you, please. Um, Don, as I pondered this, and, and this is an interesting passage. It, there's so much packed in to these relatively few verses. And I, um, I think my colleagues do the same. I keep my notes from our previous um, podcast and I look back uh, three years and I am glad that we whether we are doing it intentionally or not take different perspectives each year and your questions uh, shift that perspective and I uh, like that it reminded me of uh, him from my childhood trust and obey or there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And I was reminded of that, him, because as I reflected on your question, you said, how do you describe or elaborate on this concept of revealing based on literature or your own life journey? And I just mentioned the hymn. And, and it seems to me when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Trust is a part of that, and obeying. And as I reflect on my childhood and my 
journey up to this point in my life, when I trust the gospel and the commands and act on them, there's a kind of confirmation. For example, one of the commandments is love your enemies. It doesn't say love your enemies and they will love you back. (laughs) Okay, there's no guarantee. But for me, if I love my enemy, I am releasing myself from the bondage of anger or the desire for revenge or whatever. And I'm not saying I do it perfectly or do it every time, but there's in keeping the commandments, my trust is built because there's a release for me, whether how, no matter how the other person may respond. Um, And therefore to obey confirms the wisdom of Jesus's teachings and of his uh, behaviors. Um, And and I think I will leave it at that, that um, they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. So at least a part of the revealing, God, is a confirmation of the wisdom that Jesus shares with us. Thank you for the question. Thank you. What about you, Sarah, this concept of revealing of who Jesus is? Um, In the Dear Working Preacher blog this week, um, Caroline Lewis uses a phrase that I, I think, for me, fit this perfectly. It's called, just sit with me. And... In living into the spirit through the years and stages of my life so far, I've discovered so much more based upon my need. So um, it's as if what was being revealed was saved just for the moment of the need in my life. So the way the Spirit has expressed themselves to me um, has has been evolving from when I was 11 and and 14 and kind of finding my own way to what does it look like when I'm parenting? What does it look like when my family is grieving? What does it look like when um, I have to make really difficult decisions? What does it look like when... um, I'm afraid. And it's been really valuable to feel the presence alongside and and how it's shifted and my understanding of it has shifted as I've grown up. You <laughs> should say it that way. As I've grown up because I'm certainly having some difficulty um, growing as an adult. Um I think that the abiding is the, the miraculous part, and it's continuous and ever-changing for me. It's almost like when I was hungry for jello, it was jello. When I needed roast beef, it was roast beef. And as I got to a place where pizza sounded good, pizza was available. And it's been what I've been hungry for when I needed it, if that makes sense.
Thank you. One of the reasons I wanted to raise the question is uh, connecting it to last week where we were and weeks prior where we were talking about Jesus as a shepherd and we were talking about metaphoric, metaphorical language or Jesus as a gate. And I was thinking about concern with the idea of the changing Jesus. Is he evolving? Is he changing? Uh, is he protean? And that there, there's a different take on that, and I wanted to use this revelation as a way to continue that conversation, at least in my heart. And what broke through for me to help understand in terms of the revelation of the Christ was where the Son of Man has is like us, too, in some ways, I think. But have you ever had someone say to you, after maybe even decades of a relationship, I thought you knew me. You don't know me at all. Have I ever said that to someone myself? You know, after all this time, you'd think, you'd think you'd know that was me. And I think, of course, the truth is, there's layers, there's depth, there's circumstances that reveal who we are. And I think in that way, that's that's the answer I'm bringing to the table today. The revelation is uh, uh, depth, uh, circumstances, that Jesus isn't moving. Jesus isn't a changeling that we are learning more and more, which seems to, in this passage to be centered on love and that I will reveal myself to them. And it's revelation along the way. So if I ever said to someone, well, I thought I would think you'd know me. You've been walking at my side for X amount of years. How can you not? And I think the answer is, well, I've never climbed a mountain with you. I've never been to the hospital with you before. I've never been afraid before. I've never been in grief with you before. And that doesn't mean we're different. It means we're in a different circumstance. And I'm, I'm thinking that's the revelation that Jesus is talking about on a much, on a much grander scale. So it's more like, you know, there's a painting, but it hasn't been fully colored yet. Uh, in a literature, there's more chapters in the book. You didn't read the whole book yet. The gospel's like that. I didn't know Jesus. Well, you, you never read, you never read Matthew cover to cover before, have you? Well, there it is. There's the whole walk of Jesus. Uh, there's a whole new told story that's never come up. Uh, I, I guess I'd compare it to people in my life that have shown up during difficult times, all through my life, into a period of loss. Guys I went to school with showed up at my house. Not not because just they cared, but the ones that showed up had been on the road that I was on, like I had lost. The ones that had lost their father showed up at my front door. And other times, you know, grief, surgery, things like, you know, and I think that's the Jesus-like things where there's kind of a connection here where Jesus is coming and going. So I just wanted I wanted to offer on the reveal. It's not reveal, at least in my opinion, of a changing protean Jesus that becomes a shepherd one day and something else another day. It's deeper and deeper and deeper. And it is recognizable to me in terms of how we reveal ourselves to each other along the walk, along the way, on the way to Emmaus. Well, that's the first question. Let's go to the second one. Sarah, this is going to be coming your way. Just a moment. I apologize. I'm, I'm searching for my, my question. All right. What do you make of the verse 19 with the strange dependency language? 
I live, and I put in parentheses, therefore, you live. Let me jump to verse 19 and read that to, to help the discussion. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. Sounds like a, an interesting dependency, Sarah. What do you make of that? Well, just to touch base with the reader on this, last week we were in the same chapter reading verses 1 through 14. Jesus didn't stop talking. We just stopped reading at that spot. So this is the continuation of that conversation about where I go, you will go, and I will go ahead of you and prepare a place for you. And in my father's home, there are many places for you to dwell. So in that thought, this is a continuation of that comforting that Jesus is doing at the Last Supper with his disciples, knowing full well what's coming and and how difficult it's going to be for them because they don't quite understand how the story goes. They they will they will see the first part of it and it will decimate them. So in thinking about this being a continuation of last week's conversation, Jesus opens the notion of what life will be like after the resurrection. In an effort to comfort those who are in this present moment, as well as readers of this gospel over time. And we've all walked to the threshold of grief, and we understand loss a little bit better. Um, I don't know that we understand it the same way the disciples did. Um, I think Jesus is saying that where I live, you will also, in the sense that abundant life is the promise and um, more to be, there's more to being, quoting um, Caroline Lewis here, there's more to being a child of God than being raised from the dead. Um, that, that this text is located, and she continues the quote, that this text is located in the Sundays after Easter, promises that the presence and power of Jesus will extend beyond the empty tomb, beyond Easter, and well into the next season, which we now call Pentecost so that there's this bridging going on between this despair and this brutality of death um, to what we would understand to be the resurrection and the promise of a future um, in the presence of God. So um, for me, that's where I landed in that lovely phrase, um, I live, you will live too, or therefore you will live. Um, I think it's a, a, a phrase that's set forth as a, um, a statement of truth. Thank you. Bill Hall, what, what, do, you, what do you think about this? Uh, first of all, Sarah, thank you for the reminder. I like the way you said it. Jesus didn't stop talking when <laughs> stopped reading. Uh, it, it's helpful to remember that uh, – this chapter begins with the very familiar words of in my father's house and many dwelling places. Um, and uh, to, to your question, um, Don, what do we make of the I live, you also will live? Building on Sarah's reminder, uh, in one sense, the early part of this chapter, which we reflected on last week, not exclusively, but it talks about the future. 
I go to prepare a place where you will. This, I think, is here and now. And it reminds us, Don, that life now and life after this life is a gift from God. Uh, Because, for example, for the future, because of Christ's resurrection, we have the promise of our resurrection. And Sarah has referred to the Working Preacher podcast. Matt Skinner is on there, a New Testament scholar at Luther Seminary. And I will paraphrase a part of what he emphasized, that the because I live, you will live, is about a quality of life here and now, not just in the future. I bring you abundant life. And I like that um, emphasis. It Back to question one, uh, and I was talking about one example of forgiving your enemies. If we can obey the commandments of Christ, and when we do, we have a blessing now, not just we're not just scoring points so we can earn our way into heaven. There is a quality to life now, uh, especially in the toxic environment in which we live now politically, socially, economically, educationally, where so many things are becoming weaponized, as it were. Uh, There's a quality of life here and now. And there's a song that came out in the last decade or so, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow, Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone, which to me focuses on the here and now as well as the future. And various themes and concepts are woven throughout this uh, whole discourse Last week, Jesus talked about keeping his commandments. This week, he talks about that. And that whole concept of keeping the commandments of God is repeated for a reason. And again, I will repeat myself. I think the more we can trust and live those commandments, the more we and others have a quality of life in the here and now, no matter what our circumstances. So because I live, you will live now and for eternity. Thank you. The more I read it, I was thinking, I was focusing on Jesus, and and then all of a sudden midweek, I started focusing on the human heart about if I, therefore you, and I think it makes good sense to the disciples. They just have to turn the whole concept on its head because if I, then you, is life. And so I'm thinking they do understand that concept. If the protector, the king, your queen, your police chief, your patriarch, your benevolent dictator – your parent, your guardian, is alive, you have protection. You will live. If a parent is lost in the wilderness with a toddler, if then, a toddler cannot live on their own. And I would apply that to kings and queens. So I think this idea of if I live, then you live is tangible. 
And so I'm starting there instead of with the Christ. And how do we get to the other side? It's like you've got a far left column and you can just write all those. It goes on forever. Parents, guardians, kings, queens. We live in that world. Uh, what do they all have in common? That if they are all going to pass, they will all die. Every one of them. Every protector, everyone out there will go away. If then. Some of them may have a contractual relationship. If you support me, if you be my subject, if, you, if you're loyal, some may not. But I think the if-then is real to the people at that table and probably an area of confusion, especially where this is in this point. You have to read the whole story to understand the if-then. If you just pull this out and be like, yes, hang close to Jesus. <laughs> it might be safer than not if you're, if you're following this leader. But what, what happens is... Uh, Christ is captured and tried and executed. And that still fits in that first column, I think. And here we go back to the tomb. The dead king, the dead teacher, the good dead parent that, you know, let's memorialize them, but the protection is gone. It makes the tomb even more pathetic. Lots of pathos now, if you think of it that way. They've not just lost the friend and the teacher. It's just over. And I think Jesus is planting this seed. Bill, I believe, yes, it's about the current, about the now, but also for the future as well. But you have to read the whole thing. Kind of like goes to the first question. Did you read the three? Did you read three more chapters? You really thought you knew Jesus after the first chapter? Did you read the next one, the next one, the next one. And so that that helped me with it. I, I think the loss of that protector uh, is is at the core of what he's asking them to work through because we all have that in common with each other in some way. We ha- we understand what that protector is. It's just the it's just the extreme with Jesus. That with all the ones on the left column, the universe is in play on any given day. Life and death. On Jesus' column on the right side, it probably just says Jesus. There's nothing in play here. I don't need a contract with him. I don't need to say I hereby say you're gonna be my king. He is. He, I am. He is who he is. And uh, that right side of the page has almost nothing other than simple analogies to do with the left side of the page. So those are the things I was thinking about. Uh, let's get to the final question. Right up for us. Uh, and, Bill, I'm going to come to you with this one, and then I'll take a shot at it. And, Sarah, you'll, you'll have the wrap-up. Verse 8, so many dimensions comes to leaving one orphan, and Jesus, quote, coming to you, unquote. Is the use of orphan, the term in this, a universal usage? So I'm going to go to verse 18 and read that again for context. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. Bill Hall, is in this case universal? Again, thank you for the question, a a new challenge. A little point of Greek in which the uh, New Testament was originally written. The Greek word is orphanus or orphanus. I think the term is transliteration. We have transliterated this into English. You, You don't have to know Greek to hear the similarity. Uh, and this term is used elsewhere in Scripture. We could have a whole podcast on 
<clears throat> the use of this word and concept in scripture, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I, I would offer these comments. Jesus spent much time seeking to prepare his disciples for his leaving. But he also consistently promised another advocate, helper. Um, so while I don't remember a place where Jesus says, I'm going to leave you orphaned, he says, I'm going to go away. In a sense, he was preparing them for that. And from my personal journey, Don, uh, my father died when I was 30 years old, and that was devastating. Um, my mother lived to be 92, and I was her primary legal and otherwise uh, overseer. And by the grace of God, I, my wife, and my sister were with my mother literally when she peacefully took her last breath. And we knew it was coming. She was under hospice care, um, and mother was ready to go. I was surprised and even shared it with the congregation the next Sunday that I had this overwhelming sense of being orphaned. And I hadn't anticipated that. Um, you know, both of my parents are now gone. And I was very mature. I, I had my wife and others, a congregation I served. I was not alone, and yet I felt in some ways alone, Don. And I, I think it's interesting that Jesus uses this term here. I take it to mean that Jesus understood the depth of the, not only the sorrow, but the sense of abandonment that the disciples would feel. Now, we'll get to Pentecost. Jesus kept his promise. There was uh, another advocate, and we have the Holy Spirit today. But I, I developed a new appreciation for that experience, and scores of people who heard me say that from the pulpit later in various forms, said, Bill, I had the same experience when one or both of my parents died. So that says to me that Jesus is dealing with something truly and deeply existential. It touches the depth of who we are. And interestingly, in the English language and in life experiences, one can be orphaned even if the biological parents are alive. We speak of children put up for adoption, or at least we used to, as orphans. Their, their physical parents may be alive, but somehow they are without parents, um, at least existentially, emotionally. I, I just, I'll move on, but I think there is so such depth of human experience and feeling uh, that is in this concept of being orphaned. And Caroline Lewis, to make one more reference to working preacher this week, makes the point that if there's another advocate, then that means there has already been an advocate. Jesus Christ himself. 
So the Holy Spirit reminds us that Christ is with us. And my final comment will be various scholars note that the language of the Trinity is the language of family, Father, Son, and then Holy Spirit reminds us that even God is understood as being a family, three in one. Thank you. I want to be careful uh, to say I, I, I don't intend to be appropriating the, uh, the 21st century usage of orphan uh, for my own purposes. Uh, you know, those are those are unique and personal journeys, uh, and so I, I'm I'm going back to the Greek to also look at that it's connected to deprivation and bereavement. Uh, and that, that, and that, that way I can claim it as universal. So, Bill, I'm with you on the human condition. That it's about it's about the human. I believe it's about the human condition, and it is meant to be universal. There's an understanding of that from the Christ, and that we all have that in a collective way and in a very personal, unique way. So, if we're going to go to deprivation, it would be you know, the loss of, well, the, the, my answer to the first question, column one, your protector, your king, your queen, your teacher, your parent, your guardian, orphan, which probably is something to do with scarcity and fear. The loss of uh, a friend or a teacher, the loss of a guide or someone who gives you context. It can be any of those in columns, the first column, any of them. You lost. You lost your way. Don't know how to do something. Don't know how to find your way. A loss of safety. And and I'm I'm going to go a little dark. An an affirmation of isolation when someone is lost. I'm on my own. Uh, And that's why I believe you're on it, Bill. That that's the that's this is an existential piece. Uh, We all have it. It's what we we share. And I think it makes it universal where Christ can be speaking to us as a, a human family. Um, the isolation of loss, you could call it orphan thinking. That if if you go with the Greek, we got it. If you haven't had it yet, you got it. It's coming. And so Jesus, this is this is heavy on Jesus' mind. He puts it right out there. I think it's universal. Uh, Jesus is recognizing that's the human condition, and I think that's a lot to do with Jesus is intending to do that, to deal with to deal with that. But He is recognizing; it. He sees us all. He, usually, He's so personal, especially in this gospel. You know, I meet this woman, I meet this man, I have this conversation, and here's a big one. Here's one that works for everybody: the universal Jesus dealing with loneliness and loss. Uh, and so I I, uh, I think uh, it goes well with the second question that we had raised about this dependency. You know, I live, therefore you live. You know, that long-lasting promise that uh, this little passage just broke open for me this time around. It hadn't like it had before in the last three or four cycles we've done it. Uh, Sarah, how about you? What, what do you think about the, the use of the term orphan? I believe it is universal. I believe this confirms the human condition um, 
in a way that that we will all pass through this sense of loss, um, this sense of abandonment, if there is such a thing. Um, the disciples are about to come face to face with this feeling, with this experience, the, the full weight of the brutality and the grief and the disappointment and the guilt. Um, I think that foundationally sets the table for us because these are universal human experiences and feelings. Um, I think that time brings them to our door, each of us. Um, Since these are human, universal human feelings, Jesus is speaking hope into that emotional turbulence. I think that's the the groundwork, um, that the work of the Spirit will bring these words to mind exactly when you need them most. And I'm thinking about the I am statements. I am the bread and I am the vine. Those are, those are food references, sustenance references. Um, when, when you are in need of food or hunger, there's that. When you are feeling like you're in a dark place, Jesus is the light of the world. When you're feeling trapped, Jesus is the door or the gate. When you're feeling um, like you don't know what direction to take and you need guidance or leadership, Jesus is a good shepherd. When you are standing on the precipice of great loss, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. When you don't know what path to take, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I think these I am statements are intentional to address the sense of um, confusion, the sense of loss, the sense of disorientation that comes with grief and that comes with this this anxiety or this sense of being orphaned. And I think there's something to be said for walking or abiding with the Spirit and that comfort comes when you need it most. When you are standing in relationship, if you will, Um, I like the home and hearth reference that Bill made, that this is family in the best possible way. So, yeah, I think it's universal. (laughs) Thank you. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap up for this week. We always look forward to the week to come. Keep up with us. We love hearing from you, your comments and your encouragements and your criticism. Palmasia Presbyterian Church is located at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. Palmasia makes this podcast possible. And we encourage you to check out their site, palmasia.org, P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. And at that site, you'll find sermons, prayers, reflections, and discussions about the lectionary, opportunities to take communion, great music. So check that out. And you're always welcome. And we'll see you next time.